0: Hi, this is Dan. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I trust that it'll encourage you and build your faith. If you'd like to connect with me further, visit my website at revivalnow.com. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at RevivalNowDanSteep, and Twitter at RevivalNowDan. You can also download the RevivalNow app. Enjoy the podcast and share it with a friend. Welcome to this episode of the Dan Steep Podcast. Let's get right into it. We're uh, talking about Bible prophecy in this episode. I'm going to share with you Bible proofs of the pre tribulation rapture. Bible proofs of the pre tribulation rapture. Why is it important to know about the pre tribulation rapture? Uh, if I could answer that in one word, that word would be victory. You see, you you can't simultaneously believe the church has dominion over the devil and believe that he's going to have uh, dominion over the church in the tribulation period. In other words, you can't believe that the church has dominion over the devil and then believe that the devil is going to have dominion over the church during the tribulation period. Now, we are... Pre millennial, pre tribulation rapture believers, which is to say that the rapture of the church is going to occur before the great tribulation. That's pre tribulation rapture. The next major prophetic event. On God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. And I'm going to be sharing with you proofs from the Bible that that is exactly what's going to happen, that before the tribulation, actually before it can come, the church has to be raptured or moved out of the way. And once the rapture of the church occurs, where The body of Christ is taken up out of the earth to meet the Lord in the air, where the Bible says, from that point forward, we will forever be with the Lord. Once that happens, it ushers in the great tribulation with the revealing of the Antichrist, the signing of a peace treaty between the Antichrist and Israel that uh, will be broken by the Antichrist three and a half years into the tribulation. And from that point forward, uh, the the wrath of God is just it becomes increasingly stronger during the tribulation period. But we believe in victory. We believe in the dominion of the church of God's people that we are above the devil and not beneath. And and so you can't believe that you're above the devil and then but suddenly, when the tribulation comes. Suddenly, you're under the devil, that the devil will have dominion over the church. Now, there are other theories, I'm not getting into that in this episode, about the rapture. There are those who believe in a mid-tribulation rapture, which is to say that the church will be raptured midway through the tribulation. And then there are those who believe in a post-tribulation rapture, which uh, is to say that the Church will be raptured out of the earth after or at the conclusion of the Tribulation. But those, the people who believe that way, first of all, I believe that the, the weight of biblical scholarship uh, definitely lends itself toward a pre-Tribulation rapture, and I would say that, the, that people who believe in a mid- or a post-Tribulation rapture tend to be defeatists it tend to be negative. Like we're just here to survive and endure and make it to the end. And the problem with that is if, the, if you believe that way, if you believe that we do not have full dominion over the enemy, it's going to bleed into our, all of your theology in every area of theological belief. Be that uh, salvation, being born again, healing, right on down the line. So... Uh, that's why it's important to know about the pre-tribulation rapture. Remember that word, victory. If you have your Bible with you, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. We're going to uh, read, this is probably the uh, primary, most uh, common passage of Scripture that talks about the rapture. We'll look at this one. We'll also look in uh, the same book in 1st Thessalonians. We'll we'll move over to the 5th chapter and read verses 1 through 11 from there, but 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. And now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you don't grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, Together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Remember that. Verse 18, 1 Thessalonians four eighteen. So encourage each other with these words. Now the phrase is caught up. That is the English translation for the word rapture. You'll hear some people say that the word rapture is not found in the Bible. Well, it's actually, it's not completely true. It's true in the sense that it's not found in the English Bible, in English translations of the Bible, but it is very much found in Greek and in Latin uh, translations of the Bible. In, in, in other translations or, or in other languages of the Bible. Uh, in, in Latin, the word is raptus. In Greek, the word is harpazo. And um, you absolutely do find the word rapture in, other, uh, in translations of the Bible that are translated into other languages. Why don't we find the word rapture in the English Bible? It's simply it, it, in the translative process. Uh, of translating from uh, Greek and Hebrew manuscripts from the Latin into English, uh, it's simply, it's not a word that translates well into the English language. In other words, you could just put the word rapture in this text, but then it would require definition because we don't use rapture in that context in English. It's a very... Seldom used word, and when it is used, it, it's a word that that indicates like a, a high level of delight. But to, so to use the word rapture in the English translation of the Bible would still require further uh, translation or definition. So we use the actual translated words from that uh, from the Greek and Hebrew in this case it's the Greek and the New Testament, into English, and the word is caught up, which requires no further definition. Now, the concept of the rapture is clearly in the English Bible, and the actual word rapture is in Bible translations in other languages besides English. So just wanted to throw that out there real quickly. But here's the key, word, key phrase here. Encourage one another with these words. These words have to be encouraging in order for us to be able to encourage one another with these words. And we're going to circle back to that a little later on in the episode. Bible prophecy should be encouraging. Bible prophecy should comfort believers and scare believers. Unbelievers. If you're walking in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you you should find nothing but comfort and encouragement from Bible prophecy. If you are living outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then Bible prophecy should scare you and cause you to evaluate where you're at in relationship to Jesus Christ. Because salvation through him is the only way to heaven. The Bible says there's no other name given by men under heaven by which you must be saved. That name is Jesus. Let's uh, just move over to the next chapter in First Thessalonians to chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light, And of the day, we don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Verse 9. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ—get this now—and not to pour out His anger on us. The pre-tribulation rapture takes place whereby the church is removed from the earth before God's wrath is poured out on the earth during the tribulation. God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ— not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Here's the great word again. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. How can you encourage one another when you believe that you're going to face the outpouring of God's wrath during the great tribulation. But the key verse is really verse 9. God chose to save us not to pour out His anger on us. One more scripture as we lay the foundation and move into these Bible proofs. And these are Bible proofs, but uh, in 2 Thessalonians, the next chapter over, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. So still talking about the rapture. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Let me just stop right there. There are people uh, right now that believe that we're actually living in the great tribulation. And we're we're told very clearly from the Apostle Paul here in 2 Thessalonians 2, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Man of lawlessness is a term for the Antichrist, the one who brings destruction. Verse 4, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that I told you about this when I was with you, and you know what is holding him back? For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly and will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. We'll come back to those verses a little later on in the episode. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit powers and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of deception every kind of evil deception to fool those who are on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will, be, they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. Verse 4 talks about a one-world religion. It says that the Antichrist will exalt himself And he will defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. We're told in Revelation chapter 13 that people will be required to bow down to his image and worship it or face death. Last uh, scripture. I'm going to skip over that one just uh, for the sake of time. Let me just let's get into to talking about these Bible proofs of the pre tribulation rapture. You know, every time something bad happens, somebody says it's God's judgment, and I'm very suspect of that because actually we're told in Scripture that God is withholding His judgment. In fact, in 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9, 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So it's telling us that that, that God is not slack concerning His promise. He's actually long-suffering. He's demonstrating patience toward us. He's withholding His judgment. The Bible tells us that, that God's wrath and judgment is stored up in heaven in bowls or vials that will be poured out during the great tribulation. So God's judgment, we haven't seen, we've seen the birth pains of his return. We have seen the the effects, the compound effects of sin in the earth and the earth groaning because of the, the sinfulness and the evil and the iniquity in the earth. But we have not seen God's judgment. Scripture tells us that that's not God's heart toward people. The harvest is at the end of the world. So let me go to Matthew chapter 13 while I'm talking about this. In the parable of the wheat and the tares, beginning in verse 24, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went, and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, do you not sow, did you not sow good seed in the field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, a a little later in verse 37, they asked Jesus to explain the parable of the tares Uh, to the field of the tares of the field. And he said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Right? So, so Christians, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one, unbelievers. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there, this is God's uh, heart toward humanity. He won't allow his people to be harmed. He won't allow the wheat to be harmed and uprooted in the gathering of the tares. His angels are the reapers or the gatherers. So we gather from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, and in the, 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 the parable of the wheat and tares in Matthew 13, that God is not going to judge the wicked and damage the righteous in the process. And there's no way to judge the wicked without damaging the righteous. Why am I talking about these things? Because God's judgment really happens and is poured out during the tribulation. So what does he have to do in order for the righteous to not be harmed with the wicked? He's got to rapture the church, remove the church out of the earth before he pours out his judgment. When his judgment comes, whatever you have seen in the earth that you think is God's judgment, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything like the judgment that is going to be poured out in the tribulation. But we know this, judgment is not God's heart toward his people, toward believers, toward Christians, toward those who are born again. Jesus, when he explained this parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, he said the harvest is the end of the world. And the Bible calls Christians, among other things, ambassadors of God's kingdom. Now, Let me pose it to you this way. Any country that is thinking about going to war or, or having an, an, an act of war against another nation, what do they do? They always recall their ambassadors. They call their ambassadors home before they make a declaration of war and before they attack to, to bring them out of harm's way and in to safety. The pre-tribulation rapture is the calling home of God's ambassadors to the earth. Now, even though uh, in this episode I'm giving Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture, and I I haven't actually begun to get into uh, my list, if you will, but everything that I've been talking about is, is Bible proof and biblical thought and support for why we believe In a pre-tribulation rapture. Um, Here's a a Bible proof, I believe, of the pre-tribulation rapture. And these these are... uh, I I wouldn't necessarily build a doctrine around one of these things, but when you put them together in totality, the evidence for the pre-tribulation rapture is overwhelming. So one is that there are actually six raptures in the Bible. They're not all called raptures, but they all are raptures, and they either prefigure or foreshadow the rapture of the church or actually uh, pertain to the rapture of the church themselves. Uh, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures. I'll just list them for you. But there is Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. He was raptured and, and, and translated on to be with the Lord. There was Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, when he ascended. Then there is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he was caught up to the third heaven. There is the, the, the rapture of the church, spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and chapter 5. And there are the two prophets in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. So six incidences in Scripture of a rapture that took place. Bible proof number two, I alluded to this earlier, the dominion of the church. The dominion of the church. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, you know what is holding him back. So you know what is holding back the Antichrist, For he can only be revealed when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. So we see the spirit of Antichrist, the Antichrist spirit in the earth driving forth this globalist Antichrist agenda. This lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret. Here it is. Until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So what is or who is the one who is, has to be moved out of the way that is holding back the Antichrist? There, there are three prominent um, responses that are put forth. Some people believe that it's government. But government will be here during the tribulation. So government is not being removed. Uh, Some have said that the one holding him back is the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will be here during the tribulation. And then others, including myself, believe that the one who must be removed before the man of lawlessness can be revealed is none other than the church. The body of Christ on the earth. The presence of the Holy Spirit in His church. The church is not a building or a denomination. The church is the body of Christ. It is born-again believers. Those who are born-again Spirit-filled believers, they comprise the church or the body of Christ. The word church in Greek is the word ekklesia, and it doesn't mean building or denomination. It means the called-out ones of God. So the church is people. And Satan runs on God's clock, not his own clock. And the man of lawlessness cannot be revealed until the one who is restraining him is removed or moved out of the way. And that is talking about the rapture of the church when Jesus catches the church up with him to meet him in the air. Now, we're talking about the dominion of the church, and that is, that is the dominion of the church right there. We are the ones restraining the Antichrist in the earth and only there's just there are too many believers in the earth that fast that pray that tithe too many believers in the earth that release prophetic declarations and share the word of god and and share the gospel with people too many people too many uh, members of the body of christ the church in the earth that are going forth laying hands on the sick seeing people recovered casting out demons the entire nine that's the dominion of the church. Now, dominion was transferred from Adam to Satan in the original sin back in the Garden of Eden. And I want to read a scripture to you from Luke chapter 4 that illustrates that point very well. That dominion was humanity's. It was Adam's, our forefather. And Through the original sin, it was transferred to Satan. And so you see in Luke chapter 4, when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, listen to what Satan said to Jesus. It said in verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up um, on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to them, this is what the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. How about that? The arrogance of the devil. He's speaking to God. Right? God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. And he says, all these things I'll give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you'll worship me, worship before me, all this will be yours. So it, it, God gave it to Adam. It was transferred from Adam to Satan in the fall in the original sin. But when Jesus went to the grave and rose again and gave us victory over sin and death, he wrestled those keys away from the devil and delivered them back into our hands Another scripture in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. We're talking about the dominion of the church as Bible proof of the pre-tribulation rapture. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So he wrestled them back from the devil through his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, while I'm thinking of it, I want to run over to Matthew chapter 16. Some of these are just coming to me as we go along, but I don't want to miss this. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, as he was speaking to Peter, I also say to you that you are Peter. This is Matthew 16, verse 18. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That, my friends, is dominion and authority in the earth, and Jesus wrestled it away from Satan and delivered it into our hands. And in Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter one. Verses twenty and twenty to twenty to twenty-three. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's talking about Christ, and how when he was raised from the dead, he was seated with the Father at his right hand in heavenly places, above all principality and power and might and dominion. There's the word dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but that which is to come, he put all things under his feet. Now get this, verse 22 and 23. Put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things To the church, which is his body. He's the head. We are his body. If he is above and over all, so are we. He's given to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Who are we or what are we? We are the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Now get this one more scripture in the very next chapter of Ephesians chapter two, verse six, here it is. And raised us up together, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is absolute dominion and authority. The dominion of the church. You cannot believe that we live in and exercise dominion over the devil, but then at a certain point during the tribulation, he's now going to be over top of we who are the fullness in Christ. He being the head and we the body. Satan is a defeated foe. Who's the head of the church? Christ. Who is the church? Us. We are his body. We are seated with him in heavenly places. The Antichrist would have to ascend above Christ to defeat the church. So there's no way that the church will be here in the earth during the tribulation period when the Antichrist comes into prominence. We have dominion. One Christian full of the Holy Spirit can cast the devil out of the Antichrist. In Jesus' name. The dominion of the church goes hand in hand with the pre-tribulation rapture. Next Bible proof. The book of Revelation alludes to a pre-tribulation rapture. In Revelation chapters 1, verses 3, verses, chapters 1 through 3, uh, the, is written to this church age that we're living in. It's written to this church age that we're living in. The word church occurs 19 times in Revelation chapters 1 through 3, and zero times from Revelation chapter 4 on all the way until the culmination of all things in Revelation chapter 22. Now I'm going to read to you. Revelation chapter 4, the first uh, maybe three or four verses of Revelation chapter 4. Because in Revelation chapter 4, this is where the rapture of the church occurs. It says, John says, Then I looked up, and I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I heard before speak to me like a trumpet blast. Then the voice said, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones. I'll just stop right there. This is the allusion to the rapture of the church chapters 1 through 3 19 times the church is mentioned from revelation chapter 4 verse 1 forward not mentioned again until one time in revelation chapter 22 at the culmination of all things so the book of revelation alludes to a pre tribulation rapture Hallelujah. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to break off this episode uh, for the sake of time. I know many people uh, listen to the podcast and listen to the broadcasts uh, in their cars, driving to and from work and at different points in in time along the way. And so I'm going to break this uh, into two parts. Uh, For the sake of time, we're talking about Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture. And I've I've laid out um, three of them, and we've got about 10 that I'm going to to cover, and I'll pick that up in part two. So you can can look for part two of this subject, Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture. It'll be coming out right after this episode. Here's the, the key to the whole thing. The only way that you can do what the apostle Paul said and encourage yourself or encourage one another with the words that he's saying is if you're a part of the church. Because the church is, the, the church are the only people that are going to avoid the tribulation. So an intelligent person would want to know, how can I make sure that I'm a part of the church? Because remember, church isn't a building. It's not a denomination. The church is people, born again Christians. That's what the church is comprised of. You can't join the church. You can only be born into the church through the spiritual birth that the Bible calls being born again. How do you do that? Well, let me give you three words. They all start with the letter R. Recognize. The first thing you do is recognize that you've sinned. That shouldn't be too difficult because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means everyone in humanity throughout history has sinned. So, recognize that you've sinned. Recognize. When I recognize that my sin is actually what's killing me, it's what's killing the people around me, now I'm in a position to do the second word, which is repent. Repent. The word repent simply means to change. To change your mind, change your direction, change your behavior. To repent is to turn away from sin and turn toward Christ and the peace that He offers for your life. When you have recognized that you've sinned and you're willing to repent of that sin, then you're in a position to do the third word that starts with R, and that is receive. Receive the free gift of salvation offered through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'd like to offer a simple prayer of salvation. That through this prayer of salvation, it's going to cover all of those things. Recognizing you've sinned, repenting of your sin, and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you'll repeat this prayer after me, from a place of sincerity in your heart, this very moment, you can be born again, a part of the church, with the full assurance that you will have the privilege and opportunity to take part in the rapture of the church when Jesus comes to take us home. Would you pray this prayer with me right now? Just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I've sinned. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And he rose from the grave to give me victory over sin and death. I confess my sinfulness. I repent. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's my heartfelt prayer that you prayed that prayer together with me, and if you did, please go to my website at revivalnow.com. Go to revivalnow.com. You'll find a big red button on the the front page of the website that says, I just got saved. If you'll click that button, It'll take you to a place where you can view some video resources that I've prepared for you to help you get started in your Christian life. And you can fill out your contact information. And if you'll fill out your contact information in its entirety, including your email address, we'll send some resources to you to help you get started in your Christian life. So go to RevivalNow.com, click I Just Got Saved, and follow the prompts from there. The Bible says in Romans 10.13, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you prayed that prayer with me, you called on the name of the Lord. So by the authority of God's holy word, you're saved. You're born again. So just jump on over to RevivalNow.com, click I Just Got Saved, and follow the prompts from there. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It's been an honor, as it always is, to share God's word with you. Make sure you tune back in for the next episode as we hit part two of Bible proofs of the pre-tribulation rapture. Until then, be blessed in Jesus' name.